You know, one of the more famous commandments in the gospel is this exhortation to love one's neighbor as oneself. And on the face of it, it might sound kind of obvious and straightforward, right? Like obviously we're called to love other people with the same amount of care and attention with which we love ourselves. Until you think about it for a moment and you realize that perhaps I don't actually love myself. Perhaps I don't love myself in the way that God calls me to love myself. So given all that, I thought it may be helpful to talk about precisely that. What are some various ways in which we might love ourselves in the way that God actually calls us to love ourselves? So the first thing that kind of comes to mind is this notion of investing in oneself first. And I realize that on the face of it, that might sound kind of selfish and somewhat self-indulgent, but let me explain. Some of us are morning people and some of us are basically nighttime people in the sense of being more focused and alert in the morning as opposed to during the night and, and kind of vice versa. That said, perhaps I'm going to suggest that regardless of whether or not you're actually a morning person or a nighttime person, it still might be helpful, again, to invest in yourself first in a sense of front-loading your day to make sure that you're actually doing those things that you need for your own personal well-being before the day kind of gets away from you, before the day kind of gets crazy, if you will. Okay, so practically speaking, what are some things that we might do first thing in the morning before things get kind of crazy? Well, obviously, the first thing that comes to mind is prayer. And so the whole idea here is that regardless of how much time you actually want to invest in terms of your own personal prayer, to offer to the Lord the first fruits of your day, right? So before I check my phone, before I go on social media, before perhaps I even have breakfast, to offer to the Lord my time of prayer, right? The very best of my time and attention, the first fruits of my day. But, you know, just to kind of frame this thing properly, I don't want you to think of this time of prayer simply as one more thing I got to do in the great task list of life, right? Otherwise, the thing's going to seem completely oppressive. No, instead, I think you want to think of it in terms of a mini Sabbath day, right? So here's this time where I come before the Creator God and He just like rejoices in my presence. He's just glad that I showed up, right? And so all you have to do during this time of prayer is basically that, just show up. Rejoice in the fact that you're in the presence of one who simply rejoices in your presence. And so basically what you're doing, you're taking yourself out of the realm of functionality and obligation and efficiency, right? All these unreasonable expectations of the world. And again, putting yourself in the presence of the one who loves you first. And therefore, your time of prayer can become, again, a, a mini Sabbath day, which helps you to start your day off right and go forth and, and face all the things that the world's going to throw at you. Okay, so that's kind of the first thing that comes to mind when it comes to this notion of investing in yourself first. But the second thing that comes to mind is this notion of spiritual formation, right? And so basically the idea here is this. I think we all know on some level that we're all called to do various activities to engage in some form of ongoing spiritual formation. Whether we're talking about reading books by saints or Catholic authors or listening to Catholic podcasts, whatever the case may be. That said, what often happens, as we all know, is that these activities fall in the category very quickly of the someday maybe. Like someday maybe one day in the future I'll get around to these things, but in the meantime I'm just like really busy, right? And so to mitigate against that, something we might do is again to invest in ourselves first. First thing in the morning for 5 minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, to read a book, to listen to a podcast, to engage in some form of ongoing spiritual formation. And again, to not think of it in terms of this oppressive thing, but to think of it in terms of a mini retreat. So as a result of these activities, again, reading a book, listening to a podcast, to take away from these things like one or two points of meditation that perhaps I carry with me throughout the course of my day. In any case, beyond these ideas of time management and investing in oneself first, Something else that can be really helpful in terms of loving oneself appropriately is to invest in our own kind of physical health. And so as a matter of background, in terms of Christian anthropology, perhaps it might be helpful to kind of revisit this notion that we're not simply spirits. We're not simply spirits inhabiting some body, but rather we are composite beings, both body and soul. 
which means, practically speaking, that the body is holy. The body, too, is destined for eternal beatitude. And we know this because of the great mysteries of the Ascension, for example, and the Assumption of Our Lady into Heaven. And of course, what this means is that we're called to exercise responsibility and stewardship, not simply with regards to our minds or our souls, but also with regards to our bodies. And so in terms of practical things we might do in this regard, certainly there's issues of healthy eating and diet, but I'll just kind of defer to you in that regard. But on top of that, there's also the issues of sleep and exercise. So with regards to sleep, obviously it's really helpful to make sure you're sleeping for like seven or eight hours per day. But on top of that, it's important to realize that the key to sleeping well is not so much the fight in the morning, right? So it's not so much like man versus alarm clock, but instead it's a matter of exercising discipline the night before. And so, for example, you want to make it a point to go to bed every single night roughly at the same time, just so your body gets kind of used to it. Even though at the time you might be enjoying yourself, and even though at the time you might not actually be feeling all that tired. But on top of that, you want to make sure that you're building into your regular routine this period of time, like 15 minutes, half an hour, an hour, where you're doing something that you enjoy, something that's kind of relaxing, something that doesn't involve backlit screens, to kind of ease you into this time of rest. So you're not like kind of working frantically and then going to bed, but instead, again, you have this period of time where you're relaxing, almost like a train pulling into the station before you finally go to sleep and prepare for the next day. Okay, so the second thing that comes to mind with regards to our physical well-being is the notion of exercise. And you know, quite honestly, I think the key when it comes to exercise is to not get scared, to not get intimidated, right? So to not think of exercise exclusively as this, you know, really intense, sweaty thing, but rather in the words of Jackie Mulligan from Reform Wellness, to think of exercise in terms of like functional movement, in the sense of incorporating into one's daily routine some form of physical movement that you actually enjoy, which is actually conducive to your own physical health. Because what do we hear, right? All we need basically are, are 30 minutes of moderate exercise to kind of have some tangible benefit in terms of our own physical health. And that's 30 minutes in the aggregate, right? So it doesn't have to be 30 minutes at one time, but in total, 30 minutes per day of functional movement in service of your own physical health. Okay, but that brings us to the final thing I want to talk about with regards to loving oneself. And basically the idea here is to exercise patience with regards to oneself, especially when it comes to one's frailties and weaknesses. And so the example that comes to mind, like obviously I'm a priest, and as a priest I hear a lot of confessions. And perhaps I'm going to suggest that a recurring pattern that you hear in the context of the sacrament confession as a priest are sins having to do with anger, frustration, impatience, however you want to frame it. Now, obviously, as a priest, when you hear this sort of thing, you got to kind of make a judgment call, right? And so, for example, perhaps you might say that the reason why this person struggles with this particular area of the spiritual life is because of issues relating to temperament. So maybe naturally speaking, they're a hot-tempered person. So they have to be mindful of that when it comes to different relationships and conversations and interactions. That said, perhaps I suggest that the real reason why people tend to struggle with things like, again, impatience, anger, and frustration is because they're actually impatient with themselves. They're actually holding other people to an impossible standard to which they're actually holding themselves. And so therefore, if you want to learn to be more patient with other people, perhaps you might begin by learning to be more patient with yourself. And so given all that, perhaps I might give you a couple of practical tips in this regard. So first of all, it's really important to recognize that in the context of the Bible and the gospel in particular, what we find is that God typically brings about deep changes in people in a slow and gradual sort of way. 
And so, for example, when it comes to Joseph or Moses in the Old Testament, or even Jesus himself in the context of the New Testament, what we find is this prolonged period of the hidden life, this period of waiting and developing and growing, preceding the public life, right? And so, implying that again is this notion that God typically brings about deep changes in the heart of the human person in a slow and gradual sort of way. And so given all that, instead of focusing on making big dramatic changes right now in the present moment, to focus on making small incremental changes, again, mindful of the fact that God typically brings about great changes in the heart of the human person over a long period of time. Okay, so that's kind of the first thing. But the second thing we might do to kind of cultivate the virtue of patience is to be respectful of transition periods. And so John Eldridge talks about this, right? And so basically the whole idea here is that instead of cramming so much stuff in your day that you're basically living in the midst of this perpetual concentration camp, to again build into your routine transition times, where after something significant happens, whether it's a good thing or a bad thing, to take a moment, to take a moment to pause, to take a moment to rest, to take a moment to kind of find yourself and, and kind of recollect your senses before you move on to the next thing. That's a really tangible way, again, to exercise patience with regards to yourself. But that brings us to the final thing we might do in terms of cultivating the virtue of patience when it comes to our dealings with ourselves. And basically the whole idea here is to be kind to ourselves, especially in moments of weakness and frailty. And so to illustrate the point, think about the gospel. And in particular, think about two examples. First of all, St. Peter, after he denies the Lord three times on Holy Thursday, but also the story of the woman caught in adultery. And so with regards to both these examples, the question is this, how does Jesus deal with these people in the immediate aftermath of their sin, their failing, their frailty? Not harshly, but gently. Jesus Christ exercises extraordinary patience and mercy with regards to these people, precisely in the midst of their own brokenness and frailty. And of course, the same principle is meant to apply to each one of us, which is basically to say this, Regardless of who you are and regardless of what sins you may have committed in the past, the point still remains that God commands you to receive His merciful love, to be transformed by His merciful love. Mindful of the fact that an important prerequisite to becoming the person that God is calling to be is to actually be transformed by the same love, in the same way that St. Peter was transformed, in the same way that the woman caught in adultery was transformed. If it was true for them, it's also true for you. Okay, now after hearing this extended reflection about the various ways in which we might love ourselves in accordance with God's commandments, one might object that all this sounds perhaps a little bit too self-indulgent. Well, if that's your concern or you find some variation of this objection sort of arising in your heart right now, perhaps I might refer you to the gospel from which this commandment is actually derived. And so this commandment to love one's neighbor as oneself, it actually comes from the gospel of Luke chapter 10, right? And so basically this lawyer goes up to Christ and he asks him a question. So what he says is, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? In response to which the Lord says, you must love the Lord your God with all your hearts, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. And then on top of that, of course, he says, you must love your neighbor as yourself. But you see, what's interesting is that if you read between the lines, what Jesus seems to be saying to this lawyer is basically that if you want to have a world of peace, joy, freedom, and happiness, like all those things which correspond to the deep desires of the human heart, certainly you've got to love God first. Like hopefully that goes without saying. And that makes sense, right? Because God is the way, the truth, and life. He's the very principle of life itself. But on top of that, you need to love yourself. And again, if you read between the lines, what Jesus seems to be saying in the context of this passage is that, look, if you put God first in all things and you love yourself in the appropriate way, love of neighbor will naturally follow. And if you think about it, this actually makes a whole lot of sense. And so again, if I learn to put God first in all things, God being love itself, and I learn to love myself in a very proper and appropriate sort of way, 
well then therefore I won't be frazzled, I won't be stressed out of my mind, I won't be exhausted. And so therefore I'll be able to perceive my neighbor. I'll be able to see who my neighbor is and what he or she actually needs in terms of appropriate love. I'll be able to love my neighbor. So given all that, perhaps we might see that loving ourselves isn't really being selfish or self-indulgent at all. But instead, it's actually a really important and dare we say essential prerequisite to actually loving our neighbor. And may God bless you all.